You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Stories, the podcast presented by the Florida Surf Film Festival. I'm your host, John Brooks. Alongside me, as always, is co-host Kevin Miller. How are you today, Kevin? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Good, good. Just want to quickly thank our sponsors uh, for the film festival. Couldn't do without these folks. Uh, Monster Energy is our presenting sponsor. Rourke Apparel, Globe Footwear, uh, Yeti, Advent Health, uh, Atlantic Center for the Arts is the beautiful campus where we get to host the festival. Our media partners are Surfline.com and the Bible of our sport, the Surfer's Journal. Any historical research we do through Matt Warshaw's great site, Encyclopedia of Surfing, be sure and check that out. Uh, We're super stoked to have 2001 world champ C.J. Hobgood on today's episode. We are. Yeah, what a hardworking guy. You ever seen anybody work that hard, Kevin? Uh, No, not really. (laughs) Probably, uh, I mean, it would have been nice to see him on tour in person you know, winning Mundaka or something like that. I have not witnessed anything that cool. And it's always been kind of a goal to see a CT contest. We went to Hawaii last year in December and, and, and hit the ground as they, you know, went into stall mode for the Pipe Masters. And then my plane left, your plane left, as yeah. soon as they did the best finals ever in the history of the CT. So, yeah, I've had some bad luck with that. And uh, I would love to have witnessed that. But uh, we get a little piece of it from... Well, a lot of pieces of it in the movie, which is, you know, well done. But, you know, in today's story, we find out not only did he take part in the movie as, you know, quote, talent, but uh, producing, executive producer, all, all the things that you can imagine goes into making it a success. Yeah, I guess he could have just, you know, 
played the talent role and then backed off. But where would it have gone? You kind of find out today, right? Yeah, I just don't think that's in CJ's nature. Um, the guy just really seems to like keeping his nose to the grindstone and, and working. You know, he's had a long uh, career on tour and uh, involved in a lot of movies, both as talent and then producing his own documentary about himself and his brother and uh, really a personal documentary where they really allow us access into their personal life and um, how things went for them on tour and then afterwards. And uh, now he uh, helps start and co-owns Salty Crew uh, Clothing Company. I mean, the guy just does everything. He's the rep. He's driving all over the place selling board shorts and T-shirts. And, yeah, the guy just nonstop. He really is. And, you know, looking forward to uh, listening back through the podcast again because I just – I like listening to CJ talk whenever we can. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We we uh, get into some of the early films with Globe and Joe G. We talk about the the production of the documentary with him and his brother in Two If By Sea. And uh, we start out with some great stories going all the way back to when he was a 15-year-old kid headed to the Philippines. Yeah, let's kick it in. Yeah, let's start there. Thanks for listening. sponsor the time working with the magazines we'll say i think it was surfing okay hey um you know this photographer along with like mccalla jones they got this trip we're going to the philippines you're going to be on a boat and we need a rusty team rider on it and you're the guy so um then i sort of bring that to and for whatever reason my brother wasn't going on this trip. I, I don't know if he had another trip to go on or whatever. So it was like kind of one of the few times where we're like, and at that point I would tell my mom, like we're going to this spot and she would, then she would start asking me questions. Well, do you know much about the Philippines? Like, where do you fly into? What do you have to fly through? So we would walk back to my little brother's room and that encyclopedia Britannica was there and we would pull the M off and um you know and look at manila then we'd pull p off and look at the philippines and sort of get a you know and then we had the world map there and we'd start to look at it and we'd be like okay this is probably the way you go and and then we would talk to the travel agent and get a ticket so we get a ticket out there but it was tough because i was they wanted to do the boat trip for two weeks but i could only give them like 10 days because of school okay if i was gonna miss too much of school so we're like well just hopefully we score so we get to Oh, you know what ha- ended up happening? I think my brother was on another trip because I saw him somewhere in the airport. And then, um, oh, he was getting off a trip with Bruce. And we met him somewhere and we went out. And I want to say, for whatever reason, we went out in Manila. And like, <laughs> we went out that first night and partied. And I was like, dude, this place is bad. <laughs> like, I'm down. I'm not judging anyone. But. <laughs> people were walking around with backpacks and it was like expats and i was just like i was like damo like don't take your eyes off me i want to take my eyes off you (laughs) stay in the background the first second we get a chance to jump in a taxi to go back to the hotel that's the program we're on so sort of uh, we sort of had that understanding but man place was gnarly so we get back to the hotel and the next day rolls around and people you know that's when you're like everyone was staying at that hotel so it's like People are coming out of, I think Hans Hagen was on the trip, and he's, nice. he's coming out of one of the hotel rooms. They had been there for a couple of days, and we're like, what's going on? Where's the boat? What are we doing? And they're like, dude, there's some problems with the boat. And um, 
basically they had rocked up and was like, here's your boat. And it was like, it was like a little dinghy or something. <laughs> and then, so basically he got taken from a ride. So, um, I learned later on that like the guy stole our money uh-huh, that dude, set up the trip. And so I remember we were going to later on that night, we we're going to go to his house to confront the guy. Like, Hey, we want our money back and all these things. And, um, and one of the Miller twins was there because I remember we go in and I'm like, this doesn't look good. This expat's in his like underwear and I see a girl take off and I'm like, oh fuck, this is not. So I'm sort of standing back and I'm thinking like gun, like this guy's going to pull a gun and um, he comes back out with like something else and like a briefcase. And I remember Miller like reach for the briefcase and the guy tries to like clock him over the head and then like, I, I, I want to say a punch gets thrown and then we're like, oh crap. And I'm just like, being vigilant in the background like trying to see if there's like another weapons gonna appear and let me just restate you're 15 (laughs) years old and so we take off we get out of there and we get back to the hotel and then we realize the cops have been called on us so now we got to go down and know and give this statement and then then the next thing is like okay everyone put your debit card on the table your credit card how much can you pull out (laughs) <laughs> so we all sort of collectively go, I can get this much money. I can get this much money and let's just get a boat and let's just get on our way. So we all pull out money and it's like as much as we can. Like back then you had to wait like 24 hours to pull out more money. Yeah. So I remember we had to stay in the hotel for an extra day or two just to pull out the money that we needed. We get this boat and it is a worse boat. Um, <laughs> but I remember the chef which was a, uh, you know, a younger girl. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's Asian. So you can't, it's hard to tell how old people are. Sure. And, um, and I'm younger myself at that point. Um, and I remember we had chickens, like live chickens on the back <laughs> and all these things. And then like, so it was all my experience and all this for the first time. So I remember one day during dinner, I like go back and I'm like, Ooh, one of the chickens is missing, you know, <laughs> boom, the head was cut off. She's back there plucking the feathers and, um, yeah, the meal was good, but I'm, I'm learning this stuff. And then, so we get out there, the waves are flat. Place is beautiful, but the waves are flat. And every day I'm looking at the date and it's going one day off. And I'm like, dude, I got to go home. Like I have to go home. And I kept talking to the captain and the chef, like, where is there an airport? Like, where's there an airport that I can get off on one of these islands? And they're like, Hey, listen, this is your day that you can get off the boat because there's an, there's this Island with an airport and then get you back to Manila. And I'm like, all right, that, let's do it. And I'm like, and I remember I told the, the chef girl, I'm like, can you bring me to the island and just tell the taxi guy. So we're going to the <laughs> island. And as we're going to the island, dude, I see the biggest pig I've ever seen, dude. And I also hear the biggest squeal I've ever heard, dude. The guy just like slight, slits the throat, like right on the beach. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you know, that that's cool. And then, um, but there was also a typhoon that happened before. So I get on the taxi and I remember the first time and this part I feel really bad about because even to this day, I haven't like totally like reconciled with with maybe my actions. But I remember the first couple people that stopped me and um, they're like, where are you from? Where are you from? I was like, oh, I'm from America. And I remember they got like a like a they weren't stoked, you know. Yeah. And then so we'd stop at this next place and then another bus driver got on and I remember people kept asking me, I'm solo at this point, and people kept asking me. Finally, I just started saying, I said, Australia, you know? So I said I was from Australia, and I yeah. got a better response. Yep. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to tell people I'm from Australia, yeah. you know? 
And then, uh, and I was like, are you a, you know, am, am I a coward? Like what, what, what kind of things am I for saying this at this point? I, even to this day, I don't even know where, what it You're just in. trying to navigate a safe way to the airport without people giving you. Yeah. Time. I'm trying to get the least amount of resistance to get myself to the airport. Um, and then we pull up on this bridge and the bridge from the typhoon has been completely washed away. So we get our bags off, we jump on a like uh, raft and it kind of pulls us across the thing and I'm like, dude, what's this going to happen? We're going to like, the water's rushing down. <laughs> we get across, get to the airport, and I had missed my flight. So I got to wait. So I spend the night in this, like, literally a place this big. This was the airport, you know, like a house. Um, I get back to Manila, and um, and then I do. I get home, and I make it home in time for school. And I remember, I was like, wow, that was such a nudge trip, you know? And then uh, I remember... They ended up staying for like a week longer and they ended up getting waves. It wasn't epic, but they ended up getting some fun waves. And I remember there was like a little postage stamp of me paddling, (laughs) not even surfing. (laughs) That was the trip. That was the trip. The postage stamp uh, photo. Yeah. Oh my God. That was the, uh, that was the trip. That was adventure. I don't even know if I stood up on a wave. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I love it. Goodness. I hate it, but I love it. (laughs) Hey, well, hey, if it makes you feel any better, uh, that when I lived in Spain, mm-hmm. I did the same thing. I told people I was from Australia. Okay, so because you... yeah, I got a better a better reaction, and and again, it's I I I you were completely in, for the record, you were in the Basque country. Yeah, yeah, I was in. But San how do you Sebastian. feel now? Like, do you feel like as a patriotic person, and we love America? Like, is there anything that you that you? Oh, absolutely. There's times where I think about it, and I just feel ashamed, mm. and I'm like, wow, like I, you know, literally sold out my country you yeah know? did you like but like, at the same time it was it was similar similar circumstances where i'd find myself in a situation where somebody would be asking me hey where, where are you from and i had been telling people i'm from america <laughs> at the time i was living in california and i'd be like hey, i'm from california and it, it was yeah it was a mood changer like they just kind of start glaring at you and yeah you're just like um, I'm not going to tell people that anymore. <laughs> this is not good. I was on vacation in Longboat Key. I was 13 years old. And I met some girl on the beach at night. My friend and I were kind of wandering around. And I told her I was from Australia. But I even threw on the accent. Oh, nice. It was the world's <laughs> worst accent. And it sort of worked. I told her. I also told her my name was Tom Curran. <laughs> but, okay, so now that's a really good point. Because... If you're saying you're from a certain particular area, whatever, to get some tail and get some action, yeah, that's yeah. different. That's, that's why different. I don't have any qualms. Okay, thank you. Yeah. There's a little no bit internal conflict. Even on though that. Tom Curran is not Australian, I would have said, um, okay. <laughs> um, whoever was, you know, yeah, um, Julian Wilson, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> to some, um, but, but like, it's different though when you're like, and then you sort of like take inventory on like. Well, dude, if you were in a tough place, you're just weak. You would just sell. You would sell out to the path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I've thought about that ever since. You, you shouldn't beat yourself up too bad. You were 15 <laughs> again, traveling alone. Through yeah, he, he has an excuse. I was 21 years old. I was a college student. <laughs> I had no excuse. Somehow, I think there was some tail involved too. No, no. I a hundred percent. I absolutely would do that at the bars. 
because right. it also got a more favorable response from the ladies. <laughs> but yeah, no, there was a, there was a few times where we were traveling. We we because we were there. There was a couple guys from uh, from California that were there. Um, in fact, Craig, uh, one of the OG guys from Sector Nine, uh, was there uh, doing the same like student abroad program as me, and uh, and so yeah, we. We got a name and a number from a guy. We uh, took the train up to Amsterdam and bought a car, 100% on the black market. Nice. Just met a dude in an alley in Amsterdam and gave him a thousand bucks cash for this little Datsun station wagon that had we didn't. None of us had a European driver's license, wasn't registered. We drove it all the way back down to San Sebastian. Um, we'd park it every morning. We'd get up in Rochambeau to see who was going to go see if there was a boot on it. Cause it had a ticket on it every single day. No and we just, way. Like we would just put them in the glove compartment. And at the end of the year, it was literally like you could have filled up a 55 gallon drum with parking tickets. You know, I can relate to that because when we used to rent cars and drive cars in Europe, you never paid for a ticket. Like nah. you, like when there were like, you had to pay to get to, um, a toll road there are times where you're like get out of the car and go open the gate dude yeah. like see if you can get the gate open I'm not paying this I don't have any money yeah. and like yeah. every time you went from a different country you had a different currency yeah so you would just do and you and did it ever bite you in the butt because it never bit nope. me in the butt nope I never we, we paid a thousand bucks for that car we drove it around for a year and at the end of the year there was another group of Californians coming over to that Take program it. we sold it to them for 900 bucks yeah <laughs> We, I kept thinking, like, yeah. when is it going to come in the mail that I have all this money I have to pay yeah. to go back to Europe? But no, I'm, similar story. Yeah. Never paid for a ticket, and they never towed your car. No, no. They, they, I thought for sure they'd put a boot on the wheel at they least. Never. never. They, just put, they just put another ticket on every – I had to think it was the same police officer, too. Or at least a, the same cluster of police officers oh, yeah. that see this – Really obvious beige station wagon, you know, that's it's obviously a you know, little surf mobile. And I always felt for people that came to America and visited because we at the drop of a dime, no questions asked, don't even I don't even care what the sign says, the tow truck is putting your thing up on and I rem- and I just remember like a foreigner like experiencing maybe that for the first time and then like imagine never yeah. no matter what you did no one towed your car <laughs> and then you parked in a parking spot in like America and your car was gone they'd be like what the right yeah cuz the cuz you didn't it's it's like a tuesday between 1 and 1:30 and yeah. you can't park here during that yeah, time yeah i mean yeah so what's your best trip to europe my best trip to europe oh man there's gosh there's so many of them um I do, but I, you know, one of the ones that I really loved and speaking of Mendaka, um, and even San Sebastian for those things, I would love to get like history books. Like I remember I found this one book. It was like the, the biggest killers in the world, you know, and always had like all, and, but a lot of, a lot of places in Europe, like serial killers, like, but it wasn't serial killers. It was like, um, you know, it could have been Hitler, Mussolini, like, it could be anyone that like, but I remember this one story about um, how um, that area in Dhaka was bombed. So then when you mm-hmm. go on the, when you look at the emblem, like whether it be on the trophy or whatever, it's that, I don't know, it's the dog or coyote or whatever. And there's one tree. Yeah. Because in that town, there was one tree that was left and it was on that thing. And I remember like reading the books of how um, that war sort of, or, or 
and I don't remember too was much. Was Spanish say. Spanish Civil War? Yeah, I don't I don't even remember that, but I just remember like reading the book, seeing the tree, looking at the emblem, and was just like I got such a heightened experience of like going through Europe as a kid with okay. a book of like people that you know essentially killed a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I can remember when I first got to San Sebastian and seeing the Basque flag mm. and their symbol and how closely it looks like a swastika mm. and uh and just being tripped out by that and then i was there in 1993 and um i mean there's been unrest between you know the basque region the basque people yes. want to be their own country yes they don't want to be you know that southern part of france what's and the, then the terrorist northern cell of... what's the terrorist cell from the basque country is it red Edda. brigade no Edda. Oh, yeah, ETA. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And so Etta, when I was there in 93, Etta was super yeah, active. They were on. Yep. And uh and I can remember we'd been there for just maybe 3 or 4 weeks and uh the Spanish government or officials had captured this woman who was supposedly a high-ranking official in the Etta organization and she had died while she was in their custody. And the place went nuts. No and way. they they offered no explanation as to how she died. She just she was in prison. She'd been arrested. She was in prison for like two or three days, and then they just were like, "She's dead." And the place went nuts, and like there was full scale riots in San Sebastian. And I was just some idiot kid yeah. walking to my classes. The university yeah. was across town. Um, we had a little place right on the beach there at Gross Beach on the north end. And you had to walk through the town. And I literally walked right through and into a riot. They're like shooting us with rubber bullets. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? I have to get to class, you know? Well, it's it's uh, it's common day now, you know? Yeah. Like whether it's you hear about stuff in Hong Kong or... But like to your point, that was my first experience with that stuff. Yeah. Um, with, okay, this is terrorism. Okay, this is what these people do. This is their agenda. And then, but, but yeah, even with the Basque country of just like, and then they start digging into that and just like, you know, we don't even know where they came from as far not where they came from, but the lineage is so far back. It's so it's actually, it's, uh, the language, the Basque language is one of the oldest languages on earth. Mm-hmm. Like um, stuff like that. You're just like, what my, like my brain doesn't even go that far back. Yeah. Like I don't have any, um, you know, any context of like how far long ago that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. R- remind me what's your best result at Mendaka? Was it one of your favorites? Um, yeah. Mendaka was favorable on me. It was at a time when, um, uh, yeah, if you rode the barrel really good, you, you would, you could have success over some people. And, um, yeah, actually, I think you one won, of my, you won there, didn't you? Yeah. One yeah. of my bit, one of my best results obviously was, Actually, one of the four places that I won on tour, and I was on tour for almost 30 years, so <laughs> don't do the averages on winning, but um, yeah, and it was, it was um, for whatever reason, it was with Joel Parkinson, and I had met him in the finals before, um, and he had priority, there was a minute left, and we have been waiting for a set, and the set comes, and for whatever reason... I needed like an eight, eight. So I needed like a nine. And for whatever reason, he didn't know if the next wave, I was going to get it or he just brain farted. He went on the first one and the next one was there. And it was funny because I got a nine right at the beginning of the heat. And then I wait and the heat was like 35 minutes. I waited 33 minutes 
and and I didn't have priority because um, he caught one and got out before me, and he had like an eight, and then gotten another eight in the set, and maybe I took the second one close out or something. But um, and then I ended up getting another nine and beat him like after the heat, and it was uh, sick. So yeah, it was Mendaka was was favorable for me for for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, obviously on your forehand. Yep, forehand little yeah. barrels. Le- Especially le- if it was like little barrels. barrels, and I you kind of cheat. Yeah, left hand yeah. barrels for sure. <laughs> I feel like back then too the um that was right when it was beginning, but backside barrel riding was just starting to almost become easier than frontside. It wasn't quite there yet. It was still if you were on your forehand at a at a barreling wave, that was definitely an advantage in a heat. I felt mm-hmm. like, and then shortly thereafter, like guys like Bruce Irons and and Kelly obviously and Joel and those guys started figuring out how to ride the barrel easier on their backhand because they could just drag ass, you know, and get deeper and they didn't have to drop in and bottom turn. They could just almost fall out of the sky into the barrel and then be, be in there for longer. Yeah. I mean, there were so many nuances that the, but you also, but there was also a part of that equation where there wasn't like, if you went back to the tour and took a decade, there wasn't a lot of good, barreling rights mm-hmm. like yeah. all the places on tour weren't good barreling rights and so it did lend itself to that because i always felt like i felt my brother was like really good backhand barrel riding but i also knew that he wouldn't get the opportunity to not only sharpen that tool but to you know um really show off what he had because it was just the way the tour was set up yeah for whatever reason that's interesting because i always thought about that as those guys developed something but now hearing that it's almost like they were reacting to how the tour was set up yeah i mean necessity is a mother invention yeah that you would just do whatever had to be done yeah yeah interesting yeah the backhanders at pipe i mean obviously it seemed like kelly was the first to catch everybody's eye on planting his ass in the side of the wave from the word go and uh and get a longer tighter sort of barrel yeah i don't know what what would be your take on that because whether it was kelly first because my first recollection of that would be like bruce and andy really like just sitting in a wave where it looks like they're sitting down yeah i mean i do agree to the extent of like if you think of pipe when like the first time you saw bruce and even the first time Andy won was at Pipe. I mean, this is when yeah. they were really, really young. So, I mean, you know, it, it you could debate. It was pretty equal if you pull Bruce and Andy into when they were like 16 years old. Yeah. And they were doing that then, yeah. especially at Pipe. So I, I would say it was more equal parts of, of those guys doing that. But, um, gosh, there was some places where it really just led yeah. to, to all of that Really? Well, yeah, because at that time you guys were going to G Land. You're going to Cloud Break. Uh, Chopes wasn't on there yet, was it? Yeah. Um, there. I mean, either way, there just was no really barreling rights. Yeah. yeah, your your rights were maybe maybe Snapper at the beginning of the year. You might. Yeah, get but some, but, but it's old not... school Snapper yeah, wasn't as barely as yeah. what you see it now. They yeah. don't flick the pump on. It was for the most <laughs> yeah. part. You were like windshield wiper. It felt yeah. Like. Yeah. Because you got to think when Pat O'Connell and Kelly were in the finals. Yeah. Early snapper when Todd. Dude, it was it was a piss wave. Yeah. 
And then yeah. before that, when Burley was going on, but even then to get like Burley firing was so, it was, it just wasn't, it wasn't apples to apples. I always seemed onshore in the old contests that I watched. Yeah. Like old school. It's yeah. hard to, yeah. It's hard to even remember. I mean, you got to remember Mick Lowe, like out <laughs> yeah. to sea snapper. That was like, like that's what snapper used to be. Yeah. It used to be like it is today. So yeah, after we uh, heard some of those hilarious and great stories from CJ from earlier in his childhood and uh, his time on tour, uh, we started talking about some of the films he's been involved in, uh, going back to the Globe days and the films he did with Joe G, and uh, we kind of compare and contrast that with the making of the documentary that he and his brother did, And Two If By Sea, and so we'll get into that now. Yeah, so as it relates to the you know the Globe movies um, <clears throat> and. That was such an awesome time. Not only was, not only was Globe riding high. I mean, this is the peak of surfing as far as it relates to financial. There's no end in sight. Yeah, and um, so that it definitely lent itself to whatever you want to do. And um, so we had a great relationship with Joe. So Joe was, he's going to do the film, and I always had maybe like a. He, he won me over every time, but I always had a disagreement. Like I want the best clips. And sometimes when you're shooting film, you got to change the roles. You got to do all these things. So like I could do a great maneuver and it might be missed. Yeah. So I'm on a thing of like, dude, just shoot the digital video. And he's like, Nope. So he would only shoot film. So, but he had the creative control over that. He had all the music and, um, and then the way it was put together, what he what he depended on us for was, where do you want to surf? Where do you want to go? What trips do you want to take? Who do you want to take them with? Um, and when do we going as far as the swell window lends itself to? So he really depended on a lot of my brother for that mm-hmm. and, and, and myself a bit as well. Um, and then he would think of the storylines and then he would pitch that to us and then we would sort of run with his ideas as far as like the acting goes and yeah. let's do this and cuz you're kind of improving and all that stuff so yeah that was kind of the dynamics and then you know globe would be in over the top of like you know we already had a proof of concept meaning like um you know year 0 did good or uh, secret machine so like they were like do whatever you guys want to do. So, nice. so the money was there, and that was—I mean, essentially, that was the heyday. Yeah, that was the quintessential um, summit. Yeah, and so for you personally, like, what's the difference there between that experience versus making uh, Into If by Sea, where you, I'm, I'm assuming you were way more involved. <laughs> so then, on you know. Sometime later, you know, what would that have been like eight or 10 years later? We're like, let's make this documentary. And then, so the first thing, the most glaring thing is the financial side, right? Sure. Your sponsors don't have money. So you even call them and try to get them for money and it, it's hard. So um, you got to raise all your own capital. Um, and that is a job in itself, as you guys know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that insists of like, obviously, the Indiegogos and that stuff was good at raising money and then you would call investors um and friends and emails and that just takes like repetitive velvet hammer keep bugging people keep bugging people planting seeds keep bugging people get just enough money to take a trip 
Take that trip, figure out how to get more money. Take another trip, figure out how to get the ball, you know, 10 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Don't even worry about the end zone. The end zone's so far away. <laughs> um, and then the next thing would be, but we did have a lot of creative control as far as, like, working with Justin. Like, okay, here's our ideas. Here's our storyline. Here's what, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, dude, we would have meetings in New York. We would have meetings. Dude, I can't tell you how many times we had a meeting with Paul Speaker. (laughs) And without, even to this day, we joke around with it. Without fail, we'd give him the spiel, give him the pitch. And then every single time he would tell us when he made the NFL films and then he made this Metallica documentary or something. We would like go into a meeting and be like, what's the over under? We're going to hear about Metallica. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'll put everything. And we would, every time we'd get it, that's, I rem- that was my experience with, like, you know, <laughs> um, and it was just tough. It was tough, but it, I want to say it was tough in the most beautiful way as far as just the process goes, you know, like we were hunting all day and we never saw an animal sort of deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what, I think, to fast forward that's what makes this time like when we were in quarantine and all these things were happening it was like it was these things that were so far outside of control that were making the film have so much more legs and so much more opportunity to succeed had we not had like a thousand doors closed in our face it wouldn't have made that moment so special you know so um I really, really remember that as far as a, you know, sort of higher level, but, um, but yeah. And then, you know, Justin, Justin did have a really good sense of keeping us far, as far away from the project as he could, but still allowed us to like lob grenades of, um, you know, creative, I don't want to say control, but creative, you know, um, advice or just the right kind of balance i would imagine it's there's got to be a yeah that's really smart on his part and i remember he kept us really close at the beginning as we sort of got further along he kept us further away and further away and maybe not by design but i think there was a point where we just thought like i'm just exhausted like i don't even know if we'll finish and um and you do feel a lot of pressure right you feel a lot of pressure like the person's like oh i donated five bucks and you're not even going to finish the film and you I'm know. emailing you every three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, when is it, you know, we got a slot for you. So there is a bit of that of like, I just, I do like to keep my word. I do like to have accountability. So that was a little bit tough. Um, Justin picked out most of the music, you know, um, kind of just cheerleaded towards the end. Um, but it was tough, you know. But um, we've had a couple great deals, you know, the, the Amazon thing. Every time someone watches it, and it's cool. Like I learned, like even if someone watches it for five minutes and cuts it off, and then next person watches it for twenty-five minutes and cuts it off, once it hits like the fifty-minute mark, then it counts as a a sale. Got it. You know. Oh, okay. Oh, so cool. that was pretty cool. I learned that, and then um, I've always wondered about that. So kind do you of stuff. watch five minutes every day? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's on repeat. <laughs> like. We got 10 TVs just, just <laughs> allocated to that. That's right. Um, nice. And then we got the Red Bull deal, which is really cool. And I mean, and, you know, we're, we're, we're getting pretty close. And, um, you know, uh, my main thing is paying back the investors. You know, I think really once the investors fully get paid back will be the, you know, 
But then I'm also understanding that, the, you know, hopefully it can make revenue for the next 10 or 20 years. Oh, yeah. sure. And it's small incremental. I'm not sitting here going like, no, no, no. yeah, but I think we stand a really good chance of, of, um, of making our money back here as far as every, not, not even my money, but everyone's money back. Were you, so, uh, were you concerned about that? I was really concerned about that because essentially, you know, you're asking someone for money to, but it was really good because it led, it led to what at the time you thought was like, this is lame. But now that I look back at people that like, you know, um, who like whether it's John, John or Chris had just made a thing and Red Bull gives you all the money, but they control everything, you know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hindsight was like, I'm so thankful that I never got money from those people. Like, I would have took it, right? right. Um, it was just blind luck. Um, and then at the end, when we got a finished product, um, and we worked our butt off. Like, we create. I mean, I want to say we created. Look, it's the fans allowed us to like have a tour. Like, think about this. Like, we had a full tour in 2019. Mm-hmm. Went to all these stops. We connected with someone that like did all the tickets online so we could like sell and we like kept all these email addresses like we had like we did everything ourselves and learned it and then it went from this full tour to like okay now the world's gonna shut down and we're gonna like make this runway for you to sell your film like it was you could not even have done these things that happened to to allow it to be successful and um like had it not been so hard at the beginning, it was what really ultimately allowed these things to, to, to happen. It's interesting to hear from your standpoint because people might, I mean, it is the Hogbeard documentary, but it's, you're also the talent, you know, so, so you could feasibly go, yeah, you guys want to produce it. I'll, I'll take part in it and no problem. But you played a much bigger role than that. You were executive producer, producer, you know what I'm saying? You were playing all these roles creative director almost you know designing how the story is going to be told with justin i mean that's such a broad role there is no word for it and fundraiser you know and Mm -hmm. you were concerned about getting all these folks paid back and i mean it's got to feel extremely rewarding to see it almost i mean you're breaking even basically at this point I I i to that point i think what it allowed me to be very sympathetic and compassionate to um actors yeah because they sign contracts where like they don't have to raise the money, but they got to play this part. They got to sell themselves out to it. And then they have to go promote it. And honestly, like I looked at that and I went, you know what? Even if we have like, cause I remember, um, Nathan, Nathan Fletcher and heavy water and mm-hmm. there. And I remember I would look at these stories and these documentaries. I was like, that's really good. That's a great story. It's equivalent to ours. And I was like, I'll just work harder. I'll work harder than that guy's willing to work. And that's what will separate us. And um, and then so I would look at like actors that have to do those things. And I'm like, okay, I, I can just work harder than the next guy. He might be bigger or have a better story, but um, I'll just get it out there. And um, so that's why we like work. Like even to this day, like we just um, did a deal. And Justin was the main reason that that um was able to put this together but like europe's kind of coming out of what you know what their their own um lockdown corona whatever that looked like and then um we have this deal where it's um like a cinema outdoor film festival um in germany it mainly takes place in germany and um that's going to happen in the next couple weeks in august um so the the, it's going to tour they're going to tour it 
um, an outdoor open air theater. So, and that's just for the fact that we're still working, we're still hustling and I mean, the hustle's a hustle. <laughs> I think one of the things that really sets your film apart and, and having, you know, for Kevin and I haven't done the festival and we've done, uh, we've done a good mixture of both. We've had films that are specifically about an individual or a couple individuals, in your case, you and your brother. And we've had films that are about more like a place or, or something like that. But the fact, and I can remember when we first started advertising that we were going to be showing the film and then it was always followed with, and CJ and Damo are going to be there. <laughs> yeah. And I can remember our fans writing us back going, are you serious? They're going to be there? Because most of the time, mm. the person that stars in the film is not there. Yeah, you know, We'll get the filmmaker to come out, but the person that is in the film, that who's the film is about, is not participating really in the hustle. And I think that that's a credit to you guys. I yeah, think right, that's yeah. one of the reasons why you guys have been so successful is that you add. guys are participating in that hustle i would add to that we we have so many movies that um don't feel personal um but they are they're very personal projects but your strategy as a whole on this was to be in your face cj is going to be there and damien's going to be there when he can in radio interviews beforehand but also everything about the delivery felt so personal um, not everybody takes that strategy, like being open with film festival screenings with no screening fee um, and running your, uh, you know, your movie up the flagpole, so to speak, with no clear revenue coming in at the beginning is a different strategy than some people take because they're so protective of trying to get that nut back. Mm. And, but what you did, I think, was beneficial in the end because, and Justin's probably playing a key role in this, it created so much buzz the way you took it to market that it enabled the Amazon deal to come about through just sheer demand from people and, and also the, you know, what Amazon was looking at from a statistic standpoint of what you've done already. Yeah. And, and oh, there's a couple of different things there, but um, to, for the first part, I remember we did 41 film festivals or tour or events. And um, I remember when I was making my, um, schedule to my employers as far as like what I did um yeah. in 2019 I had went to like 31 of them wow so and I think Justin or Damien had filmed in filmed in for the rest because we always like we gotta have at least one person there yeah. that was our thing and then to the other part of that as far as the strategy goes because you got to understand like we went from uh you just got to be in one of these four film festivals mm-hmm. and then you make it that's the green light and we you know, and I will give this to Damien and to Justin. Like Damien called um, and wanted to know every misstep that the Andy Irons movie. We we mm. knew some people there, and he just kept calling him like, "What'd you learn? What'd you learn? What'd you find out? What'd you find out? What would you do differently?" Mm-hmm. And then, so with counsel and wisdom, we went, "Okay, let's just go. We don't care about the big ones. Shine every big." The big ones, that's not for us. Go to every little one and people that will wrap your their arms around you. And then by doing that, then you'll get to the next spot. And to, to that point, that happened because we got high enough on iTunes. The only reason we got the Amazon deal is because we got high enough on iTunes. And the only way we'll probably get a Netflix and four off is to get high enough on these things because 
each one of those things operate on such a grander scale that they don't look at you until you have the numbers on these other platforms before they even will talk to you. So, um, you know, hindsight is always 2020. So it's easy to look back, but no, we were constantly asking questions and constantly trying to find the answers and then, and then making a decision and plotting a course and doing it for sure. I mean, that's incredible. I, the, the idea not to go for a big festival seems so counterintuitive to rolling out your thing, but yet it was the grassroots viewings and the buzz and, you know, every single uh, publication that you can talk to about podcast, et cetera, it seemed like it really paid off. And I'm curious about the Andy Irons movie. Um, for example, they wanted um, to us to pay a screening fee to show it. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, 10 days after they showed it at the Port Orange, you know, cinema the pavilion, down the yeah. street. Oh, okay, yep. And this is after the folks at Teton Gravity tried to book ACA, Cocoa Beach, and Orlando venues out from under us. Mm. So as a festival, we were dealing with all this kickback from the distributor and you can't blame them. They're just trying to get their movie yeah. out there. It's no, it's nothing personal. Um, but we like to keep the playing field even for all of the entries for this silly little film festival award. You might walk away with from Florida Sur film festival. That being said, we like it to be an even playing field. And, and the fact that you guys came in with that different strategy and the fact that you brought it up today is interesting to me because I want to hear just maybe why that was viewed as a way not to go as opposed to what you guys chose. You know, why was Damien calling and saying, we want to do everything they didn't do or what was that all about? Yeah, I mean, look, when, you, when you're trying to make a business plan and you don't have the answers and you, you've never done it before, like, you do need to look through your Rolodex and go, who can I ask? You know, to, you know, to, so I can make a roadmap that's going to be the best chance of making it out the back and catching a wave, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of good things you said because like, I think there's a lot of parallels that we can sort of draw on a bigger story as far as like, um, you know, we went with the smaller distribution company, um, one thing that keeps ringing in my head is what I heard is like, Hey, we were a small crumb on a big plate and that hurt us. Um, and that, that didn't allow us to do the things that we were wanting to do, you know? Um, and so I remember that as a business plan, but I also remember, you know, I remember that, but I also remember salty crew and I remember the WSL and I think, and I think as it relates to those things, I would watch, WSL as it came because I I mean I was I was from the infancy stage of them making that deal and I remember some of the first biggest missteps they made because I would travel with Ryan Miller and I remember these photographers were in Snapper and they had gotten an email and the WSL essentially said they weren't allowed to take photos you know so and and I'm not I'm not saying business is business I'm not saying it's wrong I'm just saying they did go with the we're gonna be exclusive. And we're going to, this is, this is our business plan. And the only way for things to work. And as far as it relates to the film is like, if I can't get the Florida surf film and give them everything and they're not my numero uno, because if they don't bless this thing and they don't put their 
stamp of approval on it, well, then I can't get to the next stage. And I can't get to the next stage and I can't get to the next stage in that process. And I always felt that way and learning from those things. And it was a big parallel with Salty Crew. I was like, if I can't capture the 5% of core people that are there that we're speaking to, well, then we don't deserve anyone else. And so how do we invite them in? How do we include them? How do we give them the, you know, the best seat at the table and see where that goes? And I think that's just a bigger story and business and, and all these sort of things. And look, there's plenty of people that make it the other way and are very successful. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that Andy Iron's documentary is a success as well. Absolutely. And absolutely. I don't know what the finances are, and but it it was a different approach that you guys took. But what I'm interested or most <clears throat> impressed by is how you, somebody who, with no fear, will charge Chopu and then migrate so smoothly with a lot of hard work <laughs> into a business life. Not everybody can do that, and 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 you're you're one of the few. So you, you should pat yourself on the back, but not, it's a lot of hard work too. You've spent yeah, a lot just of time a, doing it. Yeah, it 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 it. It's a hustle. It, it's a hustle, man. You got to you got to enjoy the all the symptoms of of that come the fruits that come from that you know that just doing a little bit every day. You got to enjoy not the fruits necessarily, but the actual the grind. I mean, you're driving up the coast doing a lot of repping you're doing you know flying all over the world there's a lot of time away from your family i mean it is there's a cost oh my god yeah and you can't like we can't sit here and expect another person to go yeah i want to do a documentary here's a great story it's going to be successful but they're they 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 don't want to show up to any of the Mm -hmm. and that you know that's not for everyone I think yeah. that's what we're collectively saying. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's intriguing. Yeah, I, for sure. I can't. I can't say. Like, I thought our discussion about the documentary might not cover new ground because it's been said before. But I feel, you know, educated today in a way too. I mean, not to say like it's completely new, but I mean, this is all good info for anybody who's in that filmmaking world, looking at the early stages and going. Yeah, I'm just going to make that documentary and, you know, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah, and look, we can think of people, you know, I Mick Fanning would come to mind. Yeah. Um, and then we can think of people who are like, oh my gosh, I would like, you know, I would, I would do anything to tell like Bobby's story from like a really, really raw. But like, mm-hmm. you couldn't, I can't, I couldn't sit here and expect him to sign up for that, want to yeah. do it. And then you want to go to work like it's and then for what yeah. for a break yeah. even for, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh, the grand slam is break even absolutely <laughs> well at this point like the jerry lopez documentary is coming out i think there was this um Opowitz was working on sunny yeah um but those aren't going to have the same style of strategy or anything like that as it relates to coming out um, they're all going to try to chase the amazon deal those are totally maybe different projects, like you said, small crumb on a big plate. But um, it's interesting to see how somebody is willing to put the effort in and, and hustle to get the story out. Because, God damn, that was, pardon my life, that was a good documentary. Oh, man, they are awesome. And, it, and, and you, then you ask yourself, like, why does one make it and why does one not? Like, 
You see that happen all the time. Yeah. I, think, I just feel like yours is going to stand the test of time uh, without a doubt. It's, yeah, I think it's part, an unreal from, story. From having watched a lot of those documentaries, I think, as we talked about before, the hustle of the person who the film is about has a large role to play in which ones are successful and which ones aren't. Um, and it's clear that you and your brother care about the film. Um, you care about whether it's successful or not versus someone who maybe just gets a payday up front to have a movie made about them. Um, you guys are ingrained in the amount of effort that you put in is going to be what you get out. Um, but also, too, just in the film itself, is that you guys gave us, I think, an unprecedented level of accessibility into your life. And that's something that not everyone is willing to do. In fact, I'd say hardly anyone's willing to do that. Hardly anyone. so rare. Yeah, nobody wants to be, look vulnerable on the screen, and you guys were willing to do that. And the film is great because of it. Um, and I appreciate that. But I, I do have to tell you the stories of like, hey, one of us need to be at each one of these things. And then I remember like, and obviously, you know, life comes at you quick and we're dealing with families and all this stuff behind the scenes. But I remember I was like carrying a bit of the lion's share. And then I, I remember like going off on my brother, like, <laughs> you don't effing get to one of these things. I'm going to wring your neck. What are you doing, dude? You got to toe the line here. Like, um, and uh, those things happening. I remember like, um, what is it? The Hawaii Film Surf Film Festival? Kona. Kona. The Kona, like a big one, right? And I or remember, there's Honolulu, too. Oh, there's Honolulu. No, no, yeah. it's the Kona one. Kona, but yeah. I remember. That's Chad Campbell's. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's a big one. What's the big one? Honolulu is a month long in July. No, what's the big one where all the big dogs are at? It's well, on. It's on Maui, right? Oh, man. I but, mean, I think the only ones I know about are the Honolulu one that shows at the museum. That's over a month long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the Honolulu. We were so, in that one. But right. I but I remember talking to Nancy, okay. um, bless her heart, who's passed away, Matt Mueller's mom. And mm. she used to work on this film festival. And she's like, I'm going to try to get you in. And I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Dude, like I had the end of the end of the end and right. still got the door closed on oh, me. Oh, jeez. And it's a it's a it's it's a big festival, but like is it a traditional one, not a surf film? It's festival. a traditional one, right? Okay. And okay. it's big, um, and they you know, um, but to your point, like we can sit here and talk about these great things, but listen, dude, there's a lot of doors, sure, and there's a lot, and I don't want to say failure, but there's a lot of roadblocks in the, along the way. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, so, I, I don't see how anybody could say no to that movie. That I don't. I, so I biased probably. <laughs> for me, growing up here and uh, and trying to be a pro surfer and and having all the doors closed. <laughs> yeah. Um, see, you, never you never having one opened. <laughs> but I think that 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 is such a good primer. You know, like who who better to like grind out and hustle than a Florida surfer? I love That's it. That's what yeah. we spent our whole lives totally. doing from day one. You know. Yeah. Oh my so, God, absolutely. And yeah. we're so much, and we're, and we can see here right now, all pretty much in our forties. Um, thankful for that. Yeah. We're happy that that's a process we learn and it's, and we don't ever want it to change. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I've been sort of like really thinking about and, um, and, uh, trying to a theory, right. Trying to prove it right. Is like when you are in that comfort place or when you are in your, element like the 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 fountain of ideas and things that you have to offer just continue to flow mm -hmm. you know and so you can enjoy that process you know and enjoy all those things and we start to um 
we start to really look at people that are in that that season yeah. you know and um I think that's just I think that's really cool so I'm kind of like trying to take inventory with myself like that and I kind of remember when I was surfing because I was like if you're in the season of doing what you do you should be able to give the keys and tell everyone like this is what you need to do to win even if you're surfing against them and then if you're making movies you should be like and all these things you should be able to just freely just offer all these things up because it's just flowing out of you because you're you're in that season of life so I don't know Yeah. yeah Yeah, no, that's great, man. For sure. Well, hey, we just uh, want to say thanks for joining us today. And uh, thanks for sharing your story about the Philippines. And then just, again, giving us access into your life and and how you went about uh, making this documentary and how involved you were. And and we certainly appreciate uh, you uh, letting us and letting our listeners have that access. So thanks again. Yeah, and you look, you guys know how much I appreciate you. This is a a passion project for you guys, the Florida Surf Film Festival. And... We all have, you know, other day jobs that we do. And, um, yeah, but look, it allows us to sit around together and uh, have these conversations. So thank you. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, CJ. All right. Just want to say thanks to CJ for taking time out of his uh, busy schedule of being clothing company owner, sales rep, professional surfer, fisherman, traveler, father, everything else he does. So impressed. I feel so inadequate. (laughs) Have you, by the way, just side note, speaking of inadequate, I just read Michael Adno's piece on Sterling Spencer in the latest Surfer's Journal. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. His new movie that's coming is uh, going to be uh, pure gold. I mean, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, not not a sequel, but totally along those lines of, uh, I think it's going to be, you know, the funny comedic side of, Sterling sense of humor, but also I think some beautiful imagery, all shot or mostly shot up in Pensacola. So I, I mean, I can't wait. I've always never, never actually traveled to surf there, and always wanted to. So this will be, you know, a good movie. 2021, maybe. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. And if you haven't checked out Sterling's previous work entitled yes. Gold, yeah, definitely gold. check that out. Gold the movie. So, all right, everybody, have a good uh, rest of your day. John, take us away. All right, thanks for joining, guys. We'll see you next time.